You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses add value and prepare for the future. Hello and welcome to another in the series of Trowers Talks and our Positive Influencers series. I'm delighted to welcome Sue Brown today, who is the Managing Director of Real Estate Balance. Hi, Sue. Hello, Sarah. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm delighted you've agreed to talk with us today because I think, number one, your own sort of history and how you've come through your careers is absolutely fascinating. But Real Estate Balance, to start with, I mean, that organisation's purpose, was it was set up to create that fair agenda balance in real estate. How are you tackling it? And what is, what, how have you looked at how you can make a positive influence in this area? Okay, well, I'll I'll give you, for those that don't know, I'll give you a bit of background to Real Estate Balance. Real Estate Balance was set up five and a half years ago uh, by seven senior women in the industry who, I mean, we say fairly obviously, but I think five and a half years ago it was fairly obvious and perhaps it's still fairly obvious actually, um, looked around the industry and saw that we still lacked senior women. And so Real Estate Balance, say, created by seven women who said we need to do more to influence the industry and to get more gender balance into the industry. They had a very definite approach to doing that. And the way they decided they were going to do it is, first of all, they decided that if they were going to influence the industry, the thing they needed to do was also include men. Um, which was actually different about the same time as we they set Real Estate Balance up. I set up Rewire uh, with Sam McClary, who was then the deputy editor of EG, is now the editor. And we sort of went at it bottom up, really, and first of all excluded men, but Real Estate Balance are probably a bit more grown up than us and um, had men in right from the start. But the way that they really tackled it was to say, if we are going to affect change, first of all, we have to have men involved. And secondly, that if they were going to you know, affect any change, that they had to get to CEOs because without the support of CEOs, they weren't likely to change anything. So when Real Estate Balance started, I mean, I think when it started, you know, it was the seven women, men that they brought into the board as well. And then a lot of people they obviously knew in the industry. And a lot of those are CEOs. And we've always worked incredibly closely with CEOs ever since. So obviously, when they started, um, you know, a few people, when one of my colleagues joined Real Estate Balance, there was 25 members. We're about to sign our 100th member literally any day. I'm just waiting for the sort of last signature on the 100th member. So that shows you the level or the rate at which it's grown over the last five and a half years. How we tackle things. Um, so I've obviously yeah. been managing director of real estate balance the last 15 months. We clearly continue to pursue gender balance as our main priority. Uh, but when I became managing director, I was very clear that in addition to um, making sure that we were getting gender balance right, that we also needed to look at issues around race and ethnicity and issues around social mobility, because those are two things. I mean, I'd you know been in corporate life, the last big corporate job I had, I was chairing the Women's Network. But as I was looking around that in that particular position, I looked around the organisation for which I was working 
And of an organisation of 750 people, we probably had two or three black faces, black and brown faces, and I knew that we needed to change that. And so uh, real estate balance now obviously is still very much concentrated on gender balance, but also looks at issues around race and ethnicity and also looks at issues around social mobility, which I think this conversation I've had with you on many an occasion is very important to me. And, and that's what I was going to come on to, because I think uh, uh, talking about yourself and your interests and, and, and how you've looked for positive influence, uh, the social mobility side, as, as we as you say, we've both had these conversations. I mean, for me, is a, a vital element if we're going to get real diversity into any part of the industry. And how have you tackled that in terms of that social mobility side, side of life? And why does it matter so much to you? Well, why it matters to me is um, I was the first person in my family to ever go to university which I think has become a bit of a shorthand for somebody saying they're from a very different background from where our colleagues may have come from. I went to a girls' grammar school in Battersea when it was still Battersea and before it was Battersea and life was very different. I mean, I girls' grammar school at that stage, I mean, I see myself very much as a product of the 1944 Education Act where I think, you know, after the war, they really did look at the way in which they were going to educate people from backgrounds where people hadn't normally had any any expectation of going to university. I mean, my own father, who was also brought up in southwest London, I mean, he was a very bright man. But I remember, and they wanted him when he was at school, he went to one of the first trial comprehensives, again in Battersea. And his father, who was a crane driver, saying to him, you'll never go to university. You know, we're working class. You'll never go to university. My dad was very bright. And luckily, um, I mean, when I went to my grammar school, um, and my grammar school, if I'm entirely honest, when he went in at 11, they did have you marked out at 11 whether or not you were going to be university material or not. And I think arguably, if you they, they designated you to be um, university material, they were probably, you know, you were probably pushed a bit more. Yeah, you know, the, the school just, they, they took kids from girls from working class backgrounds and just had an expectation about them that they were going to want to achieve. And my own family, I mean, my dad worked in the print. And I remember when I did go to university, people saying to my dad, why are you educating her? She's a woman. I mean, you know, I'm of that generation where that was still happening. So now I just believe in... I believe fervently in people being given a chance in life, um, regardless of gender or of race or of social mobility. It's very, very important to me. It's one of those areas, isn't it, that you actually, you, we did a, um, a, an event yesterday, an internal event at Trials on the race code, and uh, which we've signed up to. But we had... Uh, we've, we've put diversity at the heart of our governance and, and we really, really want to challenge ourselves on it. And we had two speakers, internal Trowers people who actually spoke about how Black Lives Matters affected them. Um, yeah. And one of them actually read from her from her sort of journal what she'd written at the time. And it was so powerful and so moving. And um, I think we were all in tears, to be honest. It was just, it genuinely was it was like, wow. And it's and I think it's great that we're now having conversations and people are showing their emotions as to how these things affected them, be it social social mobility, be it, be it race, be it. You know, I think I saw something being tweeted the other day, uh, other day that uh, someone was mentoring another woman and they were going through this dreadful period about the effects of sexism happening. And yeah, it, there's so much of it still going on. It's really important that, that that we do talk about it and we do get it out there. What, what do you think your experiences and, and what you've achieved in your life, which is incredible, 
How do you think that influences how you therefore try and help other people? So what is it that you do then to try and help other people? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I've always worked on the basis that because, as I say, I came from a background where nothing was going to be given to me on a plate, you know, both my parents said to me, if whatever you want, you've got to work for. And I suppose, you know, I've always believed that nobody should be excluded from doing anything on the basis of, say, of gender or race or sexual orientation or social background. So, I mean, one thing I think I've always done uh, professionally is just try to help young people in particular so that people can just, you know, achieve their full potential. Because it seems to me, I mean, I I talk obviously about, you know, I'm obviously talking about this now full time. It's all that I do. And I'm very much looking at it from a sort of moral perspective, you know, that I just don't think that anyone should be excluded from anything because of their background. But I think increasingly people see that it's actually madness to exclude anybody from from something on the basis of gender or race or social background is mad because what you're doing is just reducing the pool of talent that you can refer to. And um, so how I've always approached things, I mean, I've done lots and lots and lots of individual mentoring when, I mean, you know my husband, but my husband and I ran our own business for 19 years. We then sort of sold that out twice and I became... Uh, the chair of the Women's Network at both of the organisations that we went into. But yeah, you know, my whole life has really been given over to just trying to make sure that people can see what they're capable of. And that very much started with women. But as I say, as I've progressed through my career, you know, I've certainly felt a very strong need to make sure that people of colour, you know, have exactly the same opportunity as others. And as I say, increasingly, that people from different social backgrounds do. And one of the things I'm finding at Real Estate Balance is that, again, people that joined Real Estate Balance before I became MD, you know, obviously signed up on the basis of gender balance. But I increasingly find when I'm, I mean, when we we sort of announced that we were extending the reach of real estate balance a year or so ago, I mean, I found people saying to me, well, I'm glad you're doing this because you hadn't done it. You know, we might have had to relook at our membership. The world at large now, I think, or the world at large, my world and your world, which is the real estate world, you know, are realising, again, what I've just said, that you can't exclude people on the basis of, 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 you know, as I say, as I keep saying, you know, gender or race or social background. And I'm finding increasingly that people, yes, want to know what we're doing in both of those spaces. And some of that is, I think, very real. Some of it is people really believing it. But I think equally, people are very aware that they just can't operate in a world now where they exclude anybody on the basis of what gender they are or what colour they are. And you know, thank God for it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I always say I call it diversity of voice that, you know, we need lots of voices and different areas yep. and different backgrounds and different experience. And, and that's that makes you stronger and, and makes you achieve more. It, all of this, everything that's 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 happened in the past and happening now is all implementing change in a way. It, it's yes. change, how we change people, how we change people's views, how we actually almost change ourselves as well, how we challenge ourselves and look at things. What do you think are the tri- attributes that are essential to actually sort of um, implement change? What are, what, you know, what are your strengths? What are the strengths that you need in order to help implement it and change people's views? 
Well, I mean, I think you have to believe in yourself. I mean, that is one thing where I think you really can help young people, can help young people from the type of backgrounds, um, you know, of people that didn't, for example, go to university. I mean, as I say, I was the first person in my family to ever go to university. And, I mean, I think when I first went to university, you know, I, I did at times feel very, very alienated. I mean, I've got a very strong London accent. And, you know, I was with lots of people that didn't speak like me. So, I mean, the, the work I do, I think, with people now is, is very much about just making sure that people have got the opportunities to enable them to succeed and to talk to them and so to share experiences. I mean, I think that's really important. I mean, I'm doing a lot of work with Black Professionals in Construction, which is a, an amazing organisation. And I was their first white speaker on their first question time. And I had to say there, I mean, I'm white. I don't understand what it is to be black, but I do understand what it is to come from a background where, you know, one didn't have natural privileges. And I mean, interesting debate, I think, going on at the moment about white privilege and about, um, you know, sort of white working class people being excluded in lots of ways. And I, I don't particularly want to get into that conversation here. But, you know, I, I think unless you do, you are born into privilege. I've had and a lot of people have had sort of, you know, issues and struggles in terms of getting on. So what I like to do now, I mean, real estate balance, we're very good at mentoring people. I mean, and interestingly, we run a lot of mentoring events. And I think the most telling thing to me of those is what mentees get out of it, but equally what mentors get out of it. I mean, we have these mentoring events when we have some very, very, very senior people from the industry mentoring youngsters from our membership. Um, and we because we've been, ever since I joined, we've been having to do them virtually. So we tend to have 10 mentors and 40 mentees. And I can genuinely say the responses I get from those is I get as many good responses from the mentors as I do from the mentees. I do think that there's an awful lot of people in the industry that if I say they want to give something back, that sounds a bit patronising. But I, I, I genuinely think that a lot of the mentors that we have um, really do enjoy talking to young people because I'm of a certain age, as I, the nice way of putting it is I'm at the end of my career rather than at the beginning. Um, but, you know, you go through this industry, there's lots of things you've learned. But talking to young people, I think, is as good for my generation as it is my generation speaking to young people and what they get from speaking to us, because clearly we can tell people about what we've gone through and some of the issues and challenges that we faced. But as I say, you know, when we run those mentoring sessions, it's the mentors that get as much out of it quite often as the mentees do. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'm a mentor for through the Future of London program, and and I've I I completely agree. I get so much out of it. I mean, there's I've learned so much actually, and even and also with like you, I've I've got children, and my children are like 25 and 22, and just talking to their friends as well, which are yeah. very diverse. Again, you you, you learn so much and. Um, very easy to think just because you're older you've got it right and <laughs> you often haven't yeah well I mean my children are slightly older than yours my children are 32 and 29 but yeah I mean I, I couldn't agree more I think quite genuinely I mean I've also learned an awful lot from my children's friends and yeah I mean I you know as I say you're younger than me but our generation I think can can learn an awful lot from from young people yeah. 
And I mean, the one thing I do hope, I mean, my children, I've told you how old they are, they don't see gender, they don't see race, they don't see sexual orientation, they don't see social background. I mean, you know, this is obviously, as I say, a conversation I'm having all the time. And the last Zoom call I was on before, just before I came on this one, I was saying, I mean, I hope in my children's generation that, you know, I hope we won't be having these conversations in 30 years' time. But the reality is we've still got the 30 years in between me and them, if you like, and that's clearly where we really have got to affect the change. And let's just hope that we're not still having these conversations in 30 years' time. I hope by that stage, as I say, the issues around gender and or race and ethnicity or, or social background will have gone to the wind. You know, we won't still be talking about them. Otherwise, none of us was, would have succeeded. Absolutely. Well, what, what would you say, uh, if you can, is, is that, that the best bit of advice you were ever given? I think the best bit of advice I was ever given was probably from my parents. You know, if you want something, you work for it. And as I say, I was given every opportunity. As I say, if my mum and dad had been different, they may have gone another way. You know, as I say, I, I remember I just said, my dad saying, why are you sending Susan to university? She's a woman. She'll get married and she'll have children. She won't ever do anything. And he, you know, clearly if my parents hadn't believed in me, they might have taken that advice when they didn't. But as I say, I was always told, if you want something, you can work for it and you can achieve it. So that, that is probably the best piece of advice I've been given in truth. Looking at the wider sort of world, I suppose, uh, uh, has there been like a defining moment or a defining event that has also sort of <laughs> either made you really sit up or, or actually change your outlook or helped you refine your outlook on, on, on all of this? Well, I think, you know, the defining moment for me was when I left university, which was a very, very, very long time ago. The first job I applied for was as a grad trainee at the London Borough of Wandsworth. And there was 90 of us applying for three jobs. And actually, I was genuinely the best qualified simply because, I mean, when my kids had gap years, they went round the world. I worked at the London Borough of Lambeth for a year, which just shows you how the world has changed, doesn't it? So, you know, my journey was from Ballam to Brixton rather than to Thailand or to South America or anything. So I clearly was obviously well qualified to do that job. And they genuinely weren't going to take me on because I was a woman. And, you know, this is, well, obviously in my working life, I suppose 40 years ago, or just over 40 years ago, if I'm entirely honest, things were still like that. And it was only there was a couple of younger chaps, one of whom became my immediate boss or my immediate line manager. We called them bosses then rather than line managers. And another chap really fought for me to be taken on because they genuinely weren't going to take me on because I was a woman. And at that stage, I was the, it was the sort of chief exec's department at, at Wandsworth. And I was the only woman in the department that wasn't a secretary, a telephonist or a typist. So as I say, this is 40 years ago. And so now at Real Estate Balance, you know, I, we, we take new members in and we do what we call lunch and learn sessions. So when we get new members in, I do... Um, sessions for all of their members to tell them about real estate balance. And I had a lad in one of those sessions I did a few weeks ago, who was um, an Indian lad who'd come into the industry through JLL and was now working for this public sector organisation. And he said to me, but there's been no change. And I said, look, change may have been slow, but believe me, you know, if you've been around the industry as long as I have, I mean, for the 40 years I've been in the industry, 
I think for 20 of those years, I was probably the only woman in the room. But yeah, the the, the one defining moment that, I, I mean, I was always quite a, I mean, I'm probably still an unreconstructed 1970s, 1970s feminist that spells women W-I-M-M-I-N. But that was a really defining moment for me, you know, not getting a job because I was a woman, having educated myself, you know, having my girls' grammar school, we did 11 O-levels in one year. Um, people don't even remember what O-levels are now, but we did 11 O-levels in year, one year. We did four A-levels to start with, and then we did three A-levels, and I did an S-level, and then I did my degree. So to have done all of that and then be rejected on the basis of my gender, you know, I think at the time I I just couldn't believe it. And, I mean, I remember when I took this job on, my predecessor said, why are you as fervent about this as you are? And that's why. I mean, that that was probably the one defining moment when I just decided, well, I just realised you couldn't, you just couldn't discriminate against people on the basis of same, keep you know, gender or race or social background or whatever. So yeah, that's the one defining moment I think in my life where, which really pushed me sort of over the edge into becoming. I mean, I hope I'm not a professional feminist, but I think in some ways I probably am. But certainly believing that you just shouldn't be excluded from anything, you know, based on your background or who you are or what you are. So I, th- I think it's absolutely vital that people like you, uh, uh, you know, that that story is really powerful because it's quite terrifying, actually. Um, and people need to hear it, they need to see it, they need to understand. And and it still goes on, but in different ways. And I think it's it's really important that, that we are vocal in fighting it. But yeah, we're asking no, everyone right. in the series the, the, the same question, which is, and I think I know what your answer will be, but I, I'm going to ask you anyways. What would what one thing would you like to positively influence over the next year or the next five years? might be a better period yeah I mean I think the big thing now is getting more people of color into into the industry and I mean I think you know that's not just to do with DNI. I think it's very much that as an industry I just don't think we're understood enough I mean you know when when I was growing up I've told you very much about my background but we knew you know in terms of the professions we knew what a teacher was because we were obviously all being taught by teachers and interestingly we we had a lot of what were then single women who I think had probably le- lost fiancés and husbands and things in perhaps either the first or the second world war but women who had really you know had really given their life over to educating women and some of the stories were about that were hilarious you know i mean we had a french teacher that used to put up these pictures and make us do everything in french and this one picture she had, there was a maid there and she said, oh, she said, do people have maids in quite the same way now? I mean, we were, this was a girls' grammar school in Battersea. Um, I mean, you know, the idea that anyone would have had a maid is just ridiculous. You, you know, but, but, but the, the school really believed in us. And as I say, they really believed you were capable of anything. Uh, and that was great. And uh, obviously, you know, I've told you my story about why I'm as fervent on, you know, women in business as I am. But I do think the big thing we do have to do now over the next few years is just make sure that people of colour understand more about the about the industry. And I started by saying, you know, when we were growing up, we understood what a teacher was, we understood what a doctor was, because we'd all been to the doctors. I know my mum actually wanted me to become a barrister because I think she'd heard somewhere that, you know, they were very posh and made a lot of money. And funny enough, I nearly did become a lawyer. And my But my headmistress said, if Susan's going to become a lawyer, she has to learn to speak properly. 
and um, and I think she should have elocution lessons. My dad said it was the worst six pound fifty a term he ever spent because I, he did. I did have elocution lessons for a while, and as you can see, they didn't really have much impact. But I I, I think the end. We we've got to make people understand more about what the the real estate industry is about. I mean, I've done some really interesting and exciting things in property. I mean, both my husband and I, we met at the London Docklands Development Corporation. And whatever you think about Docklands, I mean, what's been achieved there, if you think about the change that's been affected, there has been incredible. The thing I'm probably proudest of is work that I did in the Spitalfields, where I think we really did affect change. And I just think, you know, we've got to get to a point where people want to come into the industry because they see the same opportunities in it as the law or medicine or accountancy or any of other of the professions. And, you know, although clearly within real estate balance, we're very much focused on issues around diversity and inclusion. But I'm a big proponent about just us as the industry getting ourselves out there more and actually just talking to people about what the industry entails. And uh, I mean, certainly, again, my husband and I have always done lots of parents' evenings and all that sort of thing. But when my son was at school, we did a parents' evening and Nigella's Lawson's children were at the same school. And all on the parents' evening, nobody really wanted to talk about real estate or communications they all wanted to talk to Nigella so there's a lesson in that somewhere so anyway, yeah. uh, anyway but that's that's the big thing I think I, I just want to make sure that the industry is open to more people yeah thank you that's brilliant and, and thank you for your time today and I have to say that um, and I'm not I'm not saying this lightly yeah you know, I think you're an incredibly generous person and generous with your time and you've certainly been generous with me um, as well and, and I and it, it's fantastic so thank you so much thank you for your time today and uh, keep going keep doing it it's brilliant okay thanks thank so, you. so much you have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins find us at trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.